Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. Today, I speak with Alistair Corrie. Alistair is co-founder of the Corrie Partnership, a consultancy offering agile leadership, financial and corporate expertise. Welcome, Alistair. Lovely to speak to you again. Well, thank you for having me. Good to see you too. Today's topic of discussion, quiet leadership. And I'm really pleased to be able to speak to you because you describe yourself as learning to be a quiet leader rather than being, uh, I I think you called yourself an extrovert rather than being an introvert. So Mm. that got me intrigued. Yes, yeah, it got it, well, it got me intrigued when um, you you posted um, you posted the work you were doing um, and you talked about quiet leadership and I sort of read the post because obviously you know yourself and your husband I like the work you're doing so I thought I'd read the post but not thinking it was anything for me because it was quiet leadership and and what you were looking for um, and, and no I think you had the word introverted isn't it you were talking about introverted leaders I think in the post. And I'm going like, well, that's 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 definitely not me. But then, as I read what you were talking about, I was going like, oh no, I no that that feels like what um, certainly maybe not what I was, but certainly what I find works best, and um, and certainly what I what I aspire to and what I what I strive to do on a on a daily basis, which is which is how we've ended up here really, because um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting conundrum maybe that we can maybe try and unpick and solve. <laughs> Yes, indeed. When we spoke last time, you talked about you know the the command and control style of management mm. that you didn't particularly enjoy. I can't remember your exact words, but you didn't particularly enjoy. Mm. And that, I, and I think that was your first encounter. Was you started reading mm. and you came across the concept of quiet mm. leadership. Yeah, um, I, I read. Um... Uh, I, I started doing a lot of reading of uh, sort of self-development, leadership, that sort of stuff um, in my probably around probably around the age of 25 or so, I think it was. And, um, and up to that point, sort of quite quite a sort of sort of driven in a, in a good way, but also driven in a bad way, I think, was was my my style and my personality and my leadership style, certainly. Um or non-leadership style, because of course you're not leading anybody, you just the things that you think are right at the time. Um, and I just I just figured that I wanted, I wanted what was I, I wanted to get results, but I also wanted to do so in such a way that um the people that I was working with, the teams that I was working with were enjoying that, not not putting up with it. And um and so I was just intrigued um, by what I was reading. And I read uh, David Rock's book, and, and that was a real eye-opener for me, this idea about what is happening to the brain. I think when we started learning about neuroscience, um, and very much as a layperson for me, um, I, all of a sudden I started to be able to connect the dots between uh, you know, what people like Dale Carnegie were talking about, about how, you know, being, being nice and getting on with people and, um, and all of that together with what we were learning about you know various chemicals that get released in the brain at the right times when when you want things and what they do to the brain uh, in terms of your ability to be uh, more more open more receptive smarter uh, you you basically you know they say that stress makes you stupid um and, and i think the, the the right amount of stress 
gives you flow but too much or too little and you do end up with your brain in in a fog and you're not able to to come up with things and i just sort of sort of thought that that would be the place to be where people were doing doing things for themselves and for the team because they wanted to not because they were being told to that's what i was trying to get to i suppose um and and if that is called quiet leadership then hurrah (laughs) <laughs> let's, let's call it that. Um, I, I love I love the term, but I was I was wondering whether quiet leadership does it. I don't think it necessarily means that the leader is quiet. I think what it means, and um, if we could explore this, what I think it means is that the leader allows other people's brains, the brains of the team members, to be in a state of quiet. In other words, as opposed to a state of being frazzled and panicky. Um, So because obviously as a leader, you are casting a vision and you are um, helping people connect to that vision. You're providing clarity. You're providing context. You're in constant communication. So you're not quiet in the sense of being reserved necessarily, but you're quiet in the sense of you're aware of the impact words and um state are uh, things that you do you're you're conscious of what impact they have on other people's brains and i think for me quiet leadership means that you are helping everyone around you be in the best state the best mental state so that they can be at their best in terms of innovation in terms of problem solving in terms of um energy levels in terms of um enthusiasm in terms of looking forward to um doing things in terms of having access to people's brains um to their subconscious minds and not just their conscious minds and so on in order for the whole team to be able to deliver the thing that we're working on i don't know i don't know what what you thought on that but i was just i was just sort of pondering that yeah and uh, to be fair i've done the same because there is there's something well there were similarities between servant leadership between humble leadership, which we're seeing people talk about a lot at the moment, quiet leadership, and almost like a a dimension of that introversion, mm-hmm. because you're right in saying that uh, that that hesitancy that, that there is an element of shyness to it, but that's that's a separate distinction. The middle ground, I think, is where I've got to is that there is something really unique around either learning or naturally being a quiet leader. And that, yeah. that could lean towards that introverted leadership or having someone learn how to do that is around that observation, the active listening, not have the desire to be the one that's, hey, look at what I've done, where, you know, sharing that celebration with the team, but also seeing things that maybe other people don't see because you have that ability to stand back and observe. And if I think about how my mind works, my mind is exceptionally busy, and yet most people wouldn't think that when you talk to me, but I've got a million things going on in here. (laughs) The beauty of this is I can make those connections quite quickly. I can, and and that's part of this research really, is talking to more people to see what, what really is it that's unique around what I describe as everyday leaders the people in the workplace the consultants that what are they bringing to the table because I do think there is going to be almost like more power to that over the next year or two yeah no absolutely right I think I I think there is a busyness to to the brain and I think being being a quiet leader your your brain is constantly humming 
with with ideas and stuff but it's it's knowing that it's right to stay quiet whilst the team is working out the how of the thing because the more they work out the how and the more the leader lets them work out the how the more energy they're going to have the more enthusiasm they're going to have the more problems the quicker they're going to solve problems the quicker we're going to get to the end result that we're looking for we just read and listen and learn and observe over and over and over again that the people who are really successful are the ones that are are allowing and encouraging the entire team to work you know what makes it think what what makes the leader think that they're the ones who have all the solutions and that it's only them and their c-suite that have um you know have the um monopoly on strategy and the monopoly on problem solving and so forth it's it's interesting i think we as leaders need to definitely provide the vision the clarity the context for that vision help people connect to that vision but then really as you know if we've hired the right people and we have helped them get the right skills then we need to allow them to you know, to allow them to explore. I love a quote. I haven't, I haven't actually found this quote, but I heard it, that um, Winston Churchill used to say every day, bring me a hundred ideas on how we can win this war. Um, and he didn't care where they came from. He just wanted a hundred new ideas. Mm. It was interesting because he was not trying to be the guy with the ideas. He just would, he would, would know how to implement um, great ideas. And sometimes the leaders themselves have the ideas, and that's great too. But um, I think a lot of the time it's about identifying the best of the ideas that we have and um, and hopefully being genuinely surprised by what comes up. I love that cartoon that's been doing the rounds recently where it's the um, alignment and autonomy, I think it's called, um, where, you've got, where you've got a leader saying, um, you know, a leader saying, build me a bridge, and everybody sort of tries to get themselves aligned to build a bridge. Um, which is which is okay. So that's alignment, but no autonomy. But then when you have a, a autonomy and alignment, you don't say build me a bridge. You say let's cross the river, mm-hmm. and then and then you let the team work out how to cross that river. And I really love that because I keep going back mm. to that as a really good analogy. And then I like to explore what kind of solutions there would be. And I think again, it depends on the context. Is is the context to build a bridge, to build a way of getting over the river that is continuous, so they'd have a continuous flow of traffic, or is it a one-time thing, or is it a now thing? What you know, what is the context? So don't just say build me a bridge. Say that we want you to get over that river, so that we can then the team can then ask questions. Um, how often now later how long have we got you know all those things because then the best solution can appear and the best solution might be guess what we'll wait another month and the river will be dry and you can just walk across it Mm. wait another month and the river will be frozen and you can just walk across it um just down there there's some canoes just up there there's another bridge so what is the context for the thing that we're trying to accomplish and i think if we if we would allow um just, just allow those ideas to to emerge. We can then. It may be that the bridge is the right answer, but um, let's see what everyone else has to say first. It doesn't take long for that brainstorming to happen. Um, when you've got transparency as well, that's a huge one. I think when you've got that transparency, so you know the intention of the leader, the the, the reason why we're going across the river. That, that it's meaningful. It's it, there's a sense of purpose, and so on. Yeah, I, I really, I'm, I really enjoying that. I. I found it in a number of places. A few different people have put it together. 
what I was thinking of when you were talking about that was um, being curious enough. Mm. Uh, so a lot of people are afraid to be curious and that's, that's evolving certainly over the last year or so. Mm. Um, being a facilitator of thoughts is how I used to describe myself. Um, but also allowing yourself to dream big because I, I describe myself as a visionary because I can quite easily see quite, I have quite big dreams and quite ambitious around things. So I'll have a thought that's really big. I've got no idea how I'm going to get there, get some people around and start encouraging those ideas, you know, and then you think, Oh my God, that's really exciting. So you start making the connections and you start moving forward. Even that bridge analogy, you know, that that's really exciting. How are we we going to do that? Mm. people infused with that big dream Mm. but maybe that goes back to if I think back in the early days of my career which there wasn't that space to think you know where you talked about that command and control it's we just need to get there let's just do it um but do it this way do it through a process or a policy uh and if we don't have one write one um and let's just do it as a almost like a functional step yes absolutely and i think i think that's what i I certainly experienced that i was um i i I think my career started what in the late 1980s so um i think very much that it feels like the corporate world was smack bang in the middle of um a renewed figure for taylorism um it, it feels around that time and um there was this idea that somehow um, all we needed to do was to try and you know get people to do things functionally and the thing is is that you're by then you know we were hiring people for their brains we were hiring you know we were hiring the smartest people out of uni and all this kind of stuff to try and 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 get the you know and and progress and stuff and yet we were treating each other um certainly that was my impression I, i was being treated uh, you know, like a cog, not make, not understanding why we were doing what we were doing, and sometimes not understanding what we were doing. And I think what was interesting about that is that when you came to a point where you there was a decision to be made, um, your brain just froze mm-hmm. because you have clarity and context. You then didn't know what to do next, and so often, so much time was wasted. What managers and executives thought was efficient by having a process was actually fantastically inefficient because the things that were popping up on a daily basis could not have been predicted by the humans that created the process because we're very bad at looking into the future. We're very good at doing things again um, if the circumstances are exactly the same, but also things change so often. Uh, you know, the, the world just changes so quickly. What, what worked yesterday probably won't work today and the process and the, the amount of time we spent writing up that process that document 100 pages long describing exactly what you wanted people to do all of a sudden there's a new thing that's arrived or you know maybe a microchip works slightly faster so now all of a sudden that entire process you get caught on this one thing and you don't know what to do or you don't have the exact oil that has been described in the process map 
And so you don't know whether you're allowed to improvise or not, or whether you would just go and just get something else, or whether you have to wait for that. Oh, so why why have we stopped this in, entire thing? Was well, because that particular brand of oil is not available right now. We're waiting it to come through the Suez Canal, and there's a ship stuck on it or something, so we can't get it right now. So we've all stopped. So well, why don't you use something else? Well, the process said that I had to do this, and I know that if I don't follow the process, I'm going to get beaten up, and I'm going to get all that kind of stuff and and that's what's happening in our brains if any of us are still hankering on to this idea this false idea that we are going to get things to happen faster and better by following processes um i think we we really need to figure out a way to help those people to 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 realize that that's not the case and and there are great examples that we can use there are loads of um you know sort of biographical autobiographical examples that we can use i think to help explain but also we can do that in a non-threatening non um uh, non-risky way by doing simulations we could we can run games we can run simulations we can do all sorts of things which help people which will just help those great leaders and i'm sure that most leaders are in are great and they have huge potential they're just somehow stuck and they just need they just need the perspective given to them and if they would just um you know Maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should create a retreat where we bring people together and we allow them five days to, and we just immerse them in experiences where they come out the other end, you know, completely changed forever. I think it's a fantastic <laughs> idea. Let's talk afterwards. Um, so the 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 thing that was going through my mind was that um, if I if I think of the difference between introversion and extroversion, you know, mm. the ex, the extroverts would be talking out loud there and then well we need a new process why don't we need it you know you would hear all of what mm. goes on in the head that comes out mm. and they would be acting quite quickly I'm generalizing here because obviously not mm. everyone's like that whereas if I think of me is I'm thinking in my head well that that, that doesn't sound right and that's how I've na- navigated my career my different careers because I've gone uh, it doesn't feel quite right to me so I'm going to go and investigate something else but I won't tell anyone I'm just going to do it my way because it's in my head my mind was a bit like a spider's web go okay does that work no it doesn't okay I'm just going to maneuver that around there and I will find a way that's really mm. exciting moves through that bureaucracy and deliver something really quite mm. fascinating yeah and the other thought I had when you were talking is that this is why I genuinely believe, A, this is a great time for quiet leaders mm. because they can navigate through that and, you know, step into that, their voice at the right time. And the explosion of agile and leadership coaching, because we're still running on legacy systems and legacy policies and processes. And, you know, and yet we know, you and I know that world is moving at such a pace and it has done for such a long time but there is a beauty on either a simulation you know the games the practice Mm -hmm. to also having um, which is what I have mostly is one-on-one conversations with people who are and you talked about fear earlier that distinction with fear because fear underpins everything we do because we've lived with it for so long a bad conversation the wrong words said to us a poor appraisal, you know, whatever that is, that sits with us. There is beauty around that conversation. Yeah. As, as you're saying, legacy, this legacy, that, I was thinking legacy brains. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And I and I think you know, and I think they can be changed. I mean, we know you know we know um, you know the the things that we can do to um, cause. I think what people call neuroplasticity, this idea that you mm. can actually change, rewire where things are, and 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 have an you can have an epiphany, and you can have an aha moment, um, and and you can never see the world the same again. I think that's that's a fascinating thing that I think you know is is great when we can do it and I think we're doing it more and more I think there is a speed to to change now in a positive way um, I think sometimes we can suffer a little bit from what I think someone described as future shock where things are changing so fast you just can't keep up with anything but I think we're now in a in a place where we're expecting change we are we're anticipating it we are almost demanding it in 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 some way um, change of certain things you know upgrades and so forth uh, obviously you know we all know that we hate when we start talking about transformation and so on we all hate change and we all don't want it and we don't want it done to us but we do have an anticipation where I wonder I want and I love what you said curiosity I wonder what's going to emerge out of this um, and I also like what you said about the about the the spider's web because something that I love to talk about is um, a spider sense which is when you you're, you're in a room you're in a meeting room something is being said you know we're coming to a decision and and there's something just doesn't sit right this is probably what you're talking about something just doesn't sit right and you but you're not sure what it is yet you what's happened is your subconscious mind that has been basically processing you know billions of bits of data per whatever you know I don't know what the numbers are but just it's just you know a, a huge amount of information is being processed by your subconscious mind at all the time. So you know that there's something wrong in this, but you're not you can't quite say why. And I think it's really good and it's a it's a sign of maturity of the team when you can say, guys, we need to we need to hold this decision because the, my spider sense is tingling right now, and people should need to know that that means that yes, there is a reason why but I just can't tell you what it is yet because my subconscious mind hasn't worked out how to tell my conscious mind what's wrong. And I was, I was talking to um, one of our colleagues about this uh, last week. And he said, that's interesting because coders have a thing they called, they called code smell. Have you heard of this? I, I, I don't never know. heard of that. I never, he, he said, yes, yeah, that's like code smell. And that's when you've, when you've, when you're, when you've been coding so long, that you just you just know that something is wrong in the code. You just can't work out what, but you just know it's wrong. Um, and they call that code smell apparently, like like a fish smelling. You know, it's just like it, there's a there's a stink. But and what you need to do is you need to trust that instinct. Now, the 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 older we are, the more mature we are, the the more confident we are, the more we will trust our our gut, our our instincts for these things. Whereas, of course, um, you know, as we're when we're very young, we assume that we should know everything, and that we we somehow you know walk into a new job, and you know, as soon as the next person walks in behind us, we're no longer the newbie, and we we have to stop asking the dumb questions, right? And I think we need, we need to help help our young people to realize that they need to learn to trust that instinct quickly as well and and to be able to verbalize it, have the space to change that. This curiosity is um, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually that's got me curious because I wonder, having worked with a lot of software engineers and coders, I wonder if there is a, a, a natural introversion to that occupation mm, mm. I, I will look into that because no, yeah uh, 
because Probably. the focus and the ability to be quite patient and methodical and think, think, think things through is really yeah. important. That clarity is important. I, th- I think that's super important. That um, there's, there's an interesting um, article I read about the personality types um, that I don't know, who, I'm sure you've seen this, the personality types that are uh, better suited for working in a scrum team. Um, and, uh, and, it, and, talk, and it uses ocean, you know, uh, it's interesting because in that it talks about the fact that if you've got a high propensity for neuroticism for the N, um, you, that means you have a low propensity for dealing with ambiguity. Um, and if you're not good at dealing with ambiguity, you then find it difficult to operate in a world where you trust your spider sense, where you understand what code smell means and so forth. And I think, yes, they do need that space. But the point about the personalities is also knowing that, um, you know, as a product owner, you're going, to, you're going to be slightly more on one side, whereas if you are a, you know, maybe a, a developer or a tester or, um, or even the scrum master, you're going to be um, in a slightly different personality. But by understanding all of that, we know how to work with each other. So you don't sit there as a scrum master, as a product owner, wrapping your fingers, you know, waiting, patiently waiting for an answer. You know to give the guys that space. And you know that the best result will come from them feeling comfortable and relaxed enough so that they can help uh, help us achieve the goal. Because... They know there's a deadline. They're not. <laughs> they don't want to be working on this particular thing forever. They want to move on to something more interesting. Um, you know, we all work towards those deadlines, and and but we don't have to keep reminding people that they know that they know that there's there's they'll put pressure on themselves to to come up with the answers, and that will be the positive pressure that will then spark the subconscious mind to to give them the answers, um, rather than us having to sort of keep dragging them back to some you know, ugly Gantt chart and say, you know, you've got four days left before you have to deliver this milestone, um, which of course is just fantastic at closing down someone's brain and then coming up with shortcuts and optimism bias and all the other wonderful things that happen <laughs> when you when you have like, those, those sorts of behaviours. But I think when if people could see that more often than not, by using agility, by using quiet leadership, by using those things, we actually more often than not go faster than we had anticipated because we are, we are using people's brains so much better. Um, Harvard Business Review um, uh, had an article in last year which was about the productivity of humans. Um, and it said that as a, as a, if you're just a, a normal employee, you, you have a certain level of engagement of productivity. If you're engaged, so you're normal X, if you're engaged, you are then 40, 45% more productive. But if you're inspired, you're 120, 125% more inspired. As a as member of a team, you provide time, you provide skill or talent, but you also bring energy to the game. And the really the you can't change time. You know, <laughs> you um, skill you can improve, but very incrementally, very marginally, not even incrementally, but marginal improvements on skill for most of us. But the energy, you know, the type of energy that you're bringing can be massively different. And that's the, that's where the game changer is. And that's where all of a sudden why we, it feels like we're delivering things that no other team can do when you've got a scrum team that's humming or an agile team that's humming and really 
you know, in flow, in the flow and got their mojo going and all those other great term, bits of terminology, but they are just like killing it because everybody's brain is just on fire and no one is feeling, you know, afraid or um, in, you know, there's no negative, no negative toxic um, chemicals going on in their brain, which are slowing them down. And I think, and I think that's the, that's the magic. Um, which isn't magic, it's science. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, so I talk about energy a lot and there's a seems to be a misconception about energy being, you know, out there, quite loud. And actually, for me, it's around, you know, when you get excited about it, you, you feel that, for me, it's that internal energy. And then you get excited, then you put more emphasis to it. Yeah. And when you talked about flow... That's when the magic happens. But I'm interested in where you've seen teams that have been, where you talked about personality, lots of different personalities, and maybe they've been disruptive. How do you bring those together? What's your experience with that? So for, for me, I, I, try and, I try and simplify things as much as I can, um, because if, if it's too complicated, it's, it's, it's just impossible to to do anything with. I think ultimately it doesn't matter which your personality is. There are still certain things which are the same. And I think being able to really connect with a vision, with a goal, um, with a purpose, I think is, is the first thing mm -hmm. for me. Um, and that way, if we can, if everyone can agree that they're buying into the same thing, then you know that, you know, you've, you've got step one done. I think the next thing is helping everyone understand the different personalities. Um, and, you know, we can do this, you know, you can do that reasonably quickly um, by, you know, by doing personality tests and so on. But, you know, quite a lot of the time we can just talk about that and we can just sort of say, well, this, this, I prefer to work like this. I prefer to work like that. Um, and, and I think if we can help each other acknowledge those, those differences, we are, you know, we, we are then in a safer space and we can, and we can work together. So I think helping everyone acknowledge that there are different personalities, that those of us who are extrovert need to learn to allow the introverts to just have their quiet time, et cetera. Um, and understand, and if we can each understand how each other think a little bit, and this comes through the normal conversations that you're having as the team is moving. I don't think you need to start off with a, you know, a big workshop. You know, a, a, a this is where I think it's important as as leaders to to spot those things and to and to help people um, to manage that. I find that it doesn't seem to matter what personality you are if you're treated with respect which I probably, is probably the third thing, if you're treated with, with respect and you're listened to and you're acknowledged and people get a sense that you care and that the rest of the team cares, all of a sudden, personalities as such, we start to see the strengths in each other's personalities rather than the weaknesses. But I don't know, maybe those three things as a starter for 10. Because as a leader, if you're not lost in the detail of of the how you're letting your team do the how you then part of your creating the right atmosphere and creating the right psychologically safe environment is about spotting how those communications those connections are flowing because then you can go you know hey listen you know when when you when you said that um this is this is kind of the impact it can kind of have um you know and i think we're um i, I do a lot more of 
having conversations rather than keep reading as a leader you've got to keep reading you've got to keep learning you've got to keep watching cool ted talks and stuff like that and talking to each other um but then be in that moment where you know that right now you need to have a conversation with those two individuals in order to get that to work better you need to maybe sometimes you need to bring the team together and have a talk with everybody Mm. i would certainly put trust at the top you know trust first of all um and actually i was thinking the correlation with quiet leadership is that is much of it one self-awareness and when you when you understand yourself you can understand other people yeah. Um, and and that's that for me is always a learning journey because there's always something else you can learn mm. when you talked about you know the layers of mm. stuff that mm. we've acquired over the years um mm. but that self-awareness I think is really important and I like you I've done I've run psychometric days and team building things and um and I think the the one aha moment that I've always seen in everybody is not around the day's necessarily but around that oh my goodness yes that's me <laughs> you know that, that's who I am and not be ashamed about it that's just mm. you know your own style and everyone is slightly uh, different exactly. so and then it comes back to that self-awareness yeah. so given that you've learned more around quiet leadership what do you feel the distinctions are between you being more like a quiet leader to where you were before I think I think what you said was the trust was a, was was a big one, um, and I think learning to trust that a team that is led properly and led well will do everything they can not to let you down, and will do everything they can to help achieve the goal. So because it, we're all in it together, and it's just it's like you go back to sports, don't you? It's just like when you're when you're playing rugby, you you know you would not hang on to the ball to be the person who scored the try mm. um, it, it's it's just alien to to rugby players um the purpose is to get the ball across the line it doesn't matter who did it your starting point is you you know you've you've brought people into the team so you trust them but i think it's also trusting yourself and i think and i think that for me the word there is confidence self-confidence and i think the more self-confident you are the more uh, it the the better you're going to be as a quiet leader because it, it's 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 quite a thing to be a leader in a room and and I'm sure you've done this and I, I love doing this and being silent for most of if not all the meeting not feeling the need to say anything mm. and and the way I learned this was was by accident was because I was in the room when I had no clue what anyone was talking about when people would sort of say, have you got any, any ideas, any thoughts? I said, I'm, I'm just still absorbing the information is what I would say. I was in, in, inside, I was petrified inside. I was going to like, you know, I'm going to be found out soon. But basically I just absorbed and absorbed and absorbed while they were all talking. And then I started doing something that I saw Simon Sinek talking about, talking about asking the question, to ask the questions having the confidence to ask the questions to simplify and simplify and simplify what it is that is being talked about mm. and then and by helping other people think clearly all of a sudden you're 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 fulfilling your role 
is is sort of and again I learned that by accident um, and and it just felt if it actually was so liberating to not have to know everything and not have to have all the answers and to sort of help I think when when you when I when when people sort of felt that you know I I didn't know all the answers and and I didn't care that I didn't know all the answers I said I know one thing is I know that in this room we all find the answer because I know that's what this many brains are going to do and I know that we're going to create the right environment to create that so I know how to do that so what's the problem what's the question okay and so to pose the question okay so I don't understand that I don't even understand the question so let's let's first help me understand the question and in doing that you might well help yourself I find the answer because I, I love the, the idea of in, innovation pairs you have one person with all mm-hmm. the information, one person with no information get them chatting mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's this is part of this trusting yourself and have confidence in yourself that it's okay to be the person with no information um, who knows how to ask questions to the point that you get to a solution and, and so on trust trust and confidence so how, how we get there is I think a little bit by accident. We we learn as we go. We learn learn off each other. Read lots. Um, observe. You know. Um, observe the 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 good leaders. You know. There should be more films where it's the it's the right type of leadership that that you know kind of the inspiring leadership. Again, normally around around sports teams, isn't it? That we see those where where it comes out comes out great. Um, but uh, yeah. I'm so looking forward to seeing more of your research on this and more of mm. what you uncover because I think we're definitely it it is definitely the future, Julia. And I, I love the I love the way you've just found this little niche and let's let's help people to experience it as soon as possible and as easily as possible. Is 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 that I think is the trick. Yeah, um, maybe I think there's something around um, where you draw your energy. So mm. I have a I have finite time where I can give all my energy to people and then I need to go and recharge my batteries. So understanding understanding where you draw your own energy so you can give that energy back to others. Mm. And the, the, the phrase that came to mind was um, being curious to create clarity. If you're comfortable in asking the right questions, and I've asked questions ever since I was about five years old. Well, actually, you know, when children start talking, they're going, why are we doing that? Why, why, why? And they're trying to understand that's their filter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important for us to keep asking questions, being curious, because you create that clarity, whether it's for you mm-hmm. or you're helping mm-hmm. others people to do it. Mm-hmm. I love that curiosity to clarity. Yeah, curiosity. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. But I think that's right. I think it's, you know, and it's okay. And and again, I think we we all need to just understand that we... It, we go faster by taking that time to stop and, and solve problems, to stop and think, to stop and ask questions. Mm. We make it sound quite easy that, you know, allowing teams, giving teams trust and, you know, allowing them to have a voice. But what tips do you have for people who, and I, I know that people genuine, genuinely struggle with this, you know, mm. particularly mm. at the moment, we're in a multi-generational workforce, which for me is just really exciting because you get such diverse minds and thoughts so you've got a mix of those styles coming through an organization what tips do you have for people to be able to give everyone a voice trust everybody 
and allow that process to happen. I wonder whether it's it's the same for how we deal with the different personalities, the fact that it's different generations. I think I think I'm I'm more curious about the personalities than I am about the generations because I think I I'm just blown away by the the confidence and the enthusiasm and the innovation ability of young people Mm. um, uh, and their confidence. Um, I I think we need, we need to learn to include everybody as, as equals right from the get go. Um, And I think when you, when you help the teams to work together and combine those two, um, it's great. Um, you know, we need to move a little bit away from the, you know, I'm your elder and therefore you must respect me kind of vibe, which is, of course, going back to your hierarchical command of control. But where we get to the point where we respect each other, where, you know, where young kids can can do things on, you know, computers and laptops and whatever's from, you know, from such a young age. And uh, but they haven't lived through some of the stuff that some of us have, maybe. Um, so I, th- I think it's about creating collaboration ultimately, um, just, you know, creating that that vibe where it, it just doesn't matter, who, you know, how old you are and um, and where you've come from. And it, all those things just don't matter. Um, what matters is, you know, are you bought into the vision and, and, and are you willing to work, you know, in the team to make it happen? That we're, you know, we're not trying to prove who's who's right and who's wrong. We're not trying to prove who's better or who's worse. Fostering that trust within the team fostering that collaboration within the team and watching for when um, the older generations are feeling threatened um, and helping them through that and watching when the younger generations are feeling that they're not being listened to or whatever are probably the the two things that are most likely to to appear watching for frictions and, and helping the teams to overcome them be aware that it's something that could happen. Don't necessarily expect things to happen. Don't expect the worst all the time, but just be aware that that could be a thing. Um, and when somebody's feeling uncomfortable, when somebody is looking like they're not contributing to the levels that they normally might have done before, just you know, what what's hey, what's up? Well, I'm I'm you know I'm afraid these young kids are going to steal my job. Let's work together. Learn from them. They'll learn from you, and we'll all win. You're not going to you're not going to get a process out of me because because <laughs> my answer to everything is going to start with well it depends um but i think that i think that being mindful of it and therefore and watching for it i think is the thing and then and then doing a ton of reading and learning how to be a great coach um and all those things so that you can help help the teams through it being open being receptive and being curious back to the curious mm-hmm. word again back to curious about trust and curiosity fantastic thank you so much for sharing your thoughts Alistair oh this has been awesome I've just I've learned so much I've learned so many notes myself as well um, it, it, it's exciting when we start to spark up each other like this Ooh. thank you thank you for listening I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more I challenge their thoughts to create possibility anyone can be part of the conversation leave me a message ask a question and connect with me 